Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face And still another hundred miles to my next resting place Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon Within my car I'm all alone But feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to I'm hey now all, I'm Joey C. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Sherpa. This is the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me, as always, is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Joey. We have a guest back with us again this week. Kathy Shiren is with us today. Hey, mm-hmm. Kathy. Hi, Joey. How's it going? Well, thank you. Good. We are talking about an interesting thing. And Kathy, as I understand, this is something that is near and dear to your heart. Today, we're going to be talking about how magic is not therapy. Yes. Although I don't know about gear, but I do think it's important. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, what is the distinction there between, you know, magic and obviously the transformational work we do? And why is that not therapy? Therapy is the best tool for what I would call active trauma. Mm -hmm. And by active trauma, I mean, regardless of when the wound, when the pain, when the suffering, whatever it is happened to you, if it's still sort of actively bleeding if you're still responding to it as if that is your reality right now, then that's active trauma. PTSD, for example, is active trauma. Soldiers are in battle. They come back with PTSD. They're no longer in battle, but they have all the responses as if they are still in battle. That's an active trauma situation. Magic works best for people who have a stable, healthy place to stand. I've worked very close with counselors in the past, and one of them basically said that magic works best for what she calls the wounded well, which means that you have some place of wellness to stand. You can stand someplace that's solid and push off from that space to to begin your journey to personal growth and transformation. If you don't have a solid place in which to stand, if you're in active trauma, you're reactive, you're bleeding emotionally, psychologically, um, it's like you're an astronaut floating around in space with no, nothing to grab onto, nothing to push onto. Right. When you don't have anything to push against, when you have nowhere solid to stand, there's no direction. You can't direct yourself to go in any particular way to begin a path of growth or transformation simply because you haven't got a well place to stand. So magic works well for wounding but it's more for the wounded well, where you're starting someplace solid that you can then do the work from rather than that you're caught up in active trauma. Okay. That opens up a couple of things in my head here. So that's probably true for any type of transformational work you're doing, whether it's uh, magically related or otherwise. Pretty much. The counselor community that I'm familiar with, the counselors that I know who are also familiar with the magical community, Mm -hmm. are concerned sometimes with the boundaries they see being crossed because the, the ones that know how magic works and respect it and work in conjunction with it. And I know some counselors that do that. They have therapy and then um, their patients are also going through magical processes. They appreciate when that boundary is maintained between what needs to be handled in therapy and what can be handled with magic. And oftentimes magic will bring up things like you may start on a square that's solid 
and then you take a step and you end up in a wound you didn't know was there. And there's some work that can be done on that magically, but then it also needs to be referred across into therapy and handled in a therapeutic situation. So a lot of times um, therapy and magic go hand in hand as a way of doubling down on the healing and transformational process. Now, Kelly, you've talked in the past about uh, how we deal with our triggers mm-hmm. and when we remove those those triggers, those gotchas. Yep. This seems to be related to that. It is, but an active trauma is where the trigger puts you right back in the original problem. So if you get hit with something that even remotely smacks of the original experience, you are right back in the original experience. That's an active trauma. Whereas the triggers that we tend to work with are the ones where it's like your button gets hit and your story gets triggered. And your story is different than a single experience or a series of experiences if you had multiple traumas. Mm -hmm. The story is, I don't deserve or I'm not good enough, or everybody gets but me, or I'm invisible, or, you know, whatever. Our story gets triggered, and that story begins to work on us. That's a different thing than having a, an experience whack you in the face. And so we work with the ones that are around the stories, not around the active trauma. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. it does. So I do want to talk about the other side of the coin, which is that therapy isn't magic. Correct. Oftentimes people come in to start working with me and ultimately us when they've gone to therapy and it worked for a little while or it didn't work at all. But then, you know, if, even if it worked, it stopped working. And there are some things, and in particular, there is a particular mindset that I specialize in working with, which is where you came out of a childhood environment where you had a narcissistic parent or an emotionally abusive parent sometimes even physically or sexually abusive parent, uh, but definitely the emotionally abusive construct, or you come out of a relationship that was emotionally abusive or with a narcissist where it's in adulthood, but where it significantly twisted the way that you see yourself, right? Because that's how those relationships play out. So when you come from those environments, what happens is that you're, view of the world and of yourself becomes so torqued from reality that you don't even know that it's torqued. And that's the work that I specialize in. And the reason that that doesn't really give to therapy as well, um, because this is the story I hear from people over and over again, is that they can't get anywhere in therapy, is because that, that mindset is so entrenched And traditional therapeutic practices are very Socratic in nature. They try and lead you to a place. But when your perspective is so skewed that there is no pathway visible to you to get to the place that they're trying to lead you, it's very hard for you to get through that. And so this is where magic comes in, where where we work on a different level. We work to open up the doorways to the pathways that people are trying to find with you. So we we literally will say, no, this is not the way to see this. You have to turn your perspective on its head and look at it kind of cockeyed, and then you'll have the right perspective on this. And people are like, "Eh, what? And then the brains twist and they go, trying to wrap their head around it. And then eventually they wrap their brain around it and they go, ah, okay. 
And that's the, the transformational identity path where we're literally walking you into a place where you see yourself as someone completely different. And the reason for that is that, that your perspective based on your childhood has been so uh, limiting to you and so twisted in, in a way that is non-supportive of you that it was next to impossible for you to make that transition on your own, even in a therapeutic setting. And so that's the other side of the coin is that, you know, sometimes the traditional therapeutic environment is not the right path for very specific things, just like magic is not the right path for things that should be addressed in therapy. So we will often have people work in concert with a therapist, especially if there's active trauma. We love to talk to people about EMDR and things like that. The other piece of the puzzle is that, you know, really knowing where your solid ground is, is really important when you're going through a transformational ritual experience, because it's going to challenge how you see yourself. And when you are starting from a place where you're already floating in space and you don't know who you are and you don't have a point of reference on which to put a foot to kick off from, as Kathy was talking about, it makes it very difficult, especially if the world is turned on axis on you in that space. So really having a grounding in yourself, it's not even a grounding in the world, it's a grounding in yourself in order to walk into these spaces is super important. And the other piece that I see occasionally from people is that they, they think, oh, well, we'll go into this space and we'll do helper plants, medicinals. Mm -hmm. We'll do peyote or ayahuasca or pot or mushrooms. And if you're not able to look at something in the face when you're not altered, it will really mess with you when you are altered. And that's how you get people having psychotic breaks. I would really caution you before you look into those types of things. And Kathy and I don't do that work at all. But it, you know, if you were to find that path attractive, I would really caution you to make sure that you have really done some inner work before you walk down that path, because some of those paths take you places that really you need some skills in how to get yourself out. So it seems like it would be very difficult for the person who is in, whether it be active trauma or in any state here, to be able to identify for themselves the line on where they should be working in therapy and working in, in magic. It really seems at that point that it's up to the person who's treating them to be able to draw those lines. Is that correct? It is for me. When I talk to people initially about potentially learning magic or doing transformational and growth work, we talk about where it is that they're coming from, what it is that they're dealing with, what expectations do they have for the work, what what are they looking for to going forward, as well as a bunch of other things. But to get a sense for where are they, have they got that healthy internal space that they can push off from, are, do they have active trauma that's going on in their lives? And if there's active trauma, they may have a healthy space and active trauma. And mm -hmm. so I may basically recommend, okay, for the healthy space, we can start on this from a magical shamanic standpoint. And for this over here, you really need a good therapist. And if I have a good therapist to recommend or more, I will make a recommendation. And if not, I might recommend a couple of modalities like EMDR for um, post-traumatic stress syndrome. But yes, you know, it's, it's my responsibility as a practitioner, I feel, to do no harm. I mean, that's a basic premise of this work is do no harm. And taking on a, a student or a client 
where it's my work is not the right work for them is a harmful thing to do. So I need to be very clear on what that boundary is and when to make sure that I don't cross it. Yeah. And you know, the, uh, the flip side of that coin is not everybody feels that way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as someone going into this work, you need to be very responsible for yourself and, you know, feel into it with the parameters, you know, we've tried to give you some parameters to look at to make sure that you are okay, because ultimately we're responsible for ourselves. And that's, that's the foundation of any shamanic process is, is personal responsibility and personal power. And so you do need to be aware of what does traumatize you and what doesn't traumatize you and to be able and again, this is where I say, you know, be, have done some work to solidify your personal container because you need to be able to set those boundaries and enforce them if you end up in an environment that is not good and is triggering your trauma. Because for one, not everybody's even aware of the fact that you shouldn't be doing this in this environment. And for two, even if they're aware, it doesn't mean that they're able to manage your trauma and everything else that's going on. And so, you know, that's an unsafe environment for you to do this work in. And that's the whole point is for you to be conscious of that and to remove yourself from the environment so that you don't have to do your work there to be able to say, okay, well, this environment isn't going to work for me right now. I need to go see a therapist so that you understand where that line is for yourself. It's another reason I don't advocate the herbal helpers yeah. because they tend to take down walls and barriers and reduce inhibitions. And sometimes they're, they will impact your judgment about what's safe and what isn't safe. And you will end up in a space where you wouldn't have chosen to be there, but the impact of what you have ingested or smoked is putting you there. It's kind of like Therapy has the same thing on the other side of it. If you think about there are counselors and social workers and there are psychiatrists and uh, it's the psychiatrist end of it, the doctor end of it that prescribes medications, you know, right. counselors and social workers do not do that. So in the magical community, to me, using the, the plant helpers actually requires you to have even a, an additional level of care, a standard of care that's even higher. And simply because the the physiological response to some things, because those plants are not like standardized in terms of what their delivery system is and different body types uh, react differently to those things. It's just a level of complication that I've never found necessary because the couple times that I tried it, it was like, oh, this is where you're trying to get me to go with these plants. I don't need the plants to get there. Mm -hmm. I can do this without them. And I can show others how to do it without them. Right. And, you know, and this isn't true everywhere, obviously, because there are some people doing very ethical work with plants. But I have seen uh, pop up in the last five years a fair amount of people who are calling themselves uh, shamans and practitioners who are treating the plants in a way that is not entirely sacred. They're letting people do them very often, which that shouldn't happen. You should have a lot of time to integrate those journeys. And they're 
they're journeying with people. So they're taking the plants with them and there's nobody acting as a safety. So if somebody has an allergic reaction, there's nobody who's, who's not journeying uh, on site. And what do you do? And does anybody even notice that the person's in the corner dying of anaphylactic shock? Who knows, right? So that sort of thing really gives me a lot of pause about how some of the things that I've been seeing are happening. So, you know, if this is a path that you think you may take, really, really, really research it, really, really pay attention. And don't think that just because you're going to go to Peru and get it from a shaman down there, that that's necessarily going to be better. Kathy, you want to talk about the the experience that you had with the, the shaman who didn't know how to get people back? Yeah, that um, I was just thinking of that as you were speaking about it, as I was um, at a conference go figure conference. And um, they had left free time for people that wanted to offer a course or a a session um, to schedule those sessions. And one of the sessions was offered by an indigenous shaman. I don't remember whether it was Mexican or Peruvian. It was Latin American indigenous shaman. And um, the journey that she took us on was to go down into the underworld. Now, mind you, this is a conference. This is not a magical situation. It's a conference. It was to go down into the underworld and confront your deepest fear, which is talk about jumping out into the pool on the deep end. So most people, having that decent sense of self-preservation, followed the instructions, went down, confronted something, but not probably their deepest fear, and were able to come back up just fine. But this one woman went down there, actually followed the instructions, confronted her deepest fear, and then was was totally like petrified, frozen in place, couldn't come back out. She was stuck down there. Oh. Yeah. And the shaman, the person running the session, didn't know how to help her. Because in the shaman's culture, everybody's been doing journeys since they were pretty much old enough to talk. And so the idea of having to take an adult and show them the way out was completely foreign to her. She'd never learned how to do that because it was an intrinsic skill. Everybody in her culture knew how to go down and how to come back out. It wasn't a question. It was just there. So this other guy and I in the class who were both practicing shamans, we went down there. We found her energetically. We made her safe, enveloped her in in good stuff, disconnected her from the fear, and brought her back up and out into ordinary reality and then sat with her for a while while she basically, you know, in ordinary reality, calmed down and, and, you know, integrated and chilled and whatever. So, but the, we had to do it because the indigenous shaman couldn't because it wasn't part of her skill set that people would need that type of assistance. She just expected they could get back on their own. Because that was her experience. Yeah. And she literally just walked away. Yeah. So she was just going to leave her there. And, you know, let her find her way back. So just because you're going down to Peru or wherever and doing this journey with a, with a native doesn't make you safer. So I just want to be really clear that that is not necessarily the case because, you know, this is one of those instances in which the person literally just abandoned her. Well, and abandoned her because she had no idea what to do. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, this is why we're like, really be careful. <laughs> personal responsibility, really know what you're getting into, know how to get yourself out. If you don't know how to get yourself out, don't go in, that well, sort of thing. And that ties two questions that I had together. The first one was, is there anything that we can do to 
be sure that the the person we're working with does have the ability to identify those lines, which we had been talking about before. And two, is there any positive use for the medicinal herbs and things like that to help people on these journeys? And it sounds like the answer to both of those is use your own judgment and be very conscious of where you're going. Sounds like pretty good answers to me. (laughs) You know, I mean, Kathy told you she went and and did these things and found out where they were trying to take her and said that she could get there again, right? So, so absolutely, they, you know, it's, it's a way to blaze a trail to someplace that you've never been. And then, you know, the idea being that you can find your way back again. But, you know, with the right teacher, you could necessarily go those places without having to use those helpers. And, you know, there's, I don't, I don't want to come off saying that the medicinal helpers are bad. I don't want to say that because, you know, in the right context with the right person in the right scenario with safeties in place, you know, could you try it? Yeah, you absolutely could. Um, Should you try it? That's entirely a personal decision, right? right? And, you know, there's a lot of things out there that are really challenging going on right now. And so I would be very careful. And, you know, really get some reviews and really look at the people that you're dealing with and trust your gut, Mm -hmm. trust your gut, because that's probably the, the single biggest thing that would help you in any magical environment, in any situation for any ritual uh, process, regardless of whether it's transformational ritual or a, or a, uh, medicinal helper ritual or any ritual. Just if you feel uncomfortable, don't go. If you're feeling like you don't want to go, don't go. If you're feeling like you want to leave, leave. Just trust your gut. I think there's a thing also with the the herbal helpers is that we tend as a society sometimes to think about in terms of magic pills, yeah. right? Well, if I just, you know, smoke this or drink this or eat this or whatever, why that'll take care of it. And um, that's not the right reason to use them. Right. Do the work that you need to do, be it therapy and or magic and or personal growth work of whatever sort. Do the healing work first. And then if you come to a place where you're, you're not getting any further and you think a plant helper might be the way to open that doorway, having tried other things first and you found a, a responsible ethical practitioner, okay. But my concern is that people jump on it as an, an easy path. Well, I'll, do, I'll just do it this way and it'll be easy. And um, I think that that undermines some of the strength of what can be accomplished outside of using the plant helpers so that then the plant helpers really become true help at the point where it's needed rather than a crutch. Yeah, it's, it's more of a, you know, here's a doorway I go through in a pinch rather than here's a habit that I have. Oh boy, there's a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It, it's a big topic and it's one that almost no one speaks of because it is so complex and because it is so intimidating. But, you know, do you want to go in with knowledge of what's going on or do you want to go in blind and hope you're going to be okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, that's really what it comes down to. So right. I'd much rather have you educated, you know? There's so- there's something else I want to bring up in this, and we've said it before, but I really want to emphasize it because I think it, it pertains to therapy and magic and plant helpers and all the rest of that, and that is trust. Right. Um, that in order for any of these things to work, you not only have to have done your homework, but there has to be a certain amount of trust in your support system. 
Trust in your therapist, trust in your ritualist, trust in your shaman, trust in uh, the person, you know, organizing the plant helper session. And trust isn't given blindly. It's given with, you know, you've, you've checked it out and you've talked to other people and you've, or maybe you've tried a, a lower level experience and built some trust with them. But the research says that the efficacy of any healing relationship isn't about the modality of the healing. It's not about therapy per se or magic or plants or any of the rest of it. It's about the quality of the relationship between the individual and the supporting person, the therapist, the shaman, the, that type of thing. So I just I want to be sure to emphasize that if your gut is in an untrusting place, not therapy, not shaman, not plants, not nothing. Don't do it. Well, and it seems that that trust in whatever the modality is, having that trust also allows you to trust yourself and that allows you to engage more fully. Yes. Because you'll put up your own blocks. Yeah. It, it won't work. It's not even a matter of whether or not it's right for you. It won't work if you don't engage. Right. We actually had a conversation to that effect uh, on a call earlier today, which is, you know, if... If you have trust issues, if you don't trust people, if you have a long litany of stories of ways in which people have betrayed you and, and been untrustworthy, then you need to start in therapy mm -hmm. because we can't help you at all. You right. cannot engage in a magical environment because your trust issues will keep you from allowing anything to work upon you. Okay, we are running short on time here. Is there any final words? Take care of yourself. Know that you are the best and most effective decider of what is right for you and what isn't right for you. And never abdicate that responsibility to someone else or anything else. Recognize that tools are just that. Whether it's therapy or magic or plants, they're just tools. And taken in context with what Kelly just said, you know, trust yourself. You are the decider. Excellent. And for now, that is all that we have for this week. Be sure to join us next time, folks, as Kelly adds yet another chapter into your beginner's guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I am Joey C. here with Kelly Sparta and Kathy Shiren, and you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Each mile I travel over 13,000 now, so I leave behind a Spirit Trippa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to creativecommons.org. Any requests for deviations to this licensing should be sent to K-E-L-L-E at K-E-L-L-E-S-P-A-R-T-A.com. That's Kelly at kellysparta.com. To sign up or to get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to kellysparta.com. This episode of Spirit Trippa has been produced by Honu Voice Productions. Thank you.